The following is a paid program on the VOCM Big Land FM radio network. This is Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO, licensed insolvency trustees. The views and opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of this station. Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO on VOCM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Your Money with Nancy Snedden. I am Nancy Snedden. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Really happy to welcome back Fred Masters to the show. If you remember, Fred was on a couple of weeks ago, and he's the founder of Masters Money Management, a professional speaker on financial literacy and sought-after media commentator. He's also author of the highly acclaimed book, Lessons on Mastering Money, the personal finance guide for Canadians in their 20s and 30s. Fred, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me back, Nancy. So excited to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, you know, we had such great feedback from the first episode that you uh, taped with us, and we didn't really get to all the information that we wanted to in that uh, in that first taping. So wanted to have you back to continue the conversation. As we discussed when you were on the first time, the goal of your book, Lessons on Mastering Money, is really to empower Canadians in their 20s and 30s with the core personal financial literacy knowledge that they need to control their money and their life's personal financial journey. So I do want to point out again, though, that while your book is targeted for those 20s and 30s, it does offer really valuable insights, financial advice that will benefit readers of all ages, not to mention advice that parents and grandparents can use to share with their younger family members. So when you were here last, we did touch on investments and the importance of investing when it comes to financial security, not only for today, but also for tomorrow and into your financial future. So I want to continue that discussion now on investing because it really is so important. And mastering investing is the theme you address in your book. So we talked quite a bit last time about the benefits of RRSPs and how the earlier you start, the bigger the return will be for those. But it's also important to be aware that there's so many ways to invest. And again, the sooner you start the opportunity for your money to grow, the better. So that's something to keep in mind when you're in your 20s and 30s for sure. And we know that many in this age demographic believe that I have lots of time, right? Retirement is so far off. There's nothing that I really need to be thinking about when it comes to, to saving for my retirement or saving for the future at this time. But it's important to remember that time truly is on your side when it comes to investing. So Fred, in your book, you talk about investing as one of the financial hurdles we have to overcome to avoid financial struggle throughout life. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I, I think that um, those three major financial struggles that we discussed last time, really the only solution set to that is a, a former teacher. The only solution set to that is to save. So if you look at, uh, you know, the, I'm talking the biggies here. So we're talking about saving for retirement, saving for um, some way to help the kids with their education costs, their post-secondary education costs, and some way to figure out the housing puzzle. The only way to do that is to, to save and to invest because those are long-term goals that we see coming. You know, when you have a child, there's a very good chance that 16, 17, 18 years down the road, that child's going to head off to post-secondary education, and there's going to be costs associated with that. So we see those costs coming. We see retirement coming. And so the reality is that, um, you know, we want to save over the long term because those are big ticket items. You know, it's not something you're going to be able to save for a year for and come up with enough money for your own retirement. So one of the things I talk about in my presentations is uh, the math here, because really there's only three variables when it comes to long-term wealth accumulation. And those three variables are really quite clear. The three variables are the money you invest, your rate of return, and the number of years you do that. And the most important of those variables by far is the number of years you do that. You know, if you save X amount every two weeks for 10 years, 
versus saving X amount every two weeks for 30 years, you're going to be able to save a lot less money and do it in a lot easier way if you do it over time. So I talk about the importance of, of moving now, that uh, this is a finite game. We don't have infinite time. And so when you're in your 20s and 30s, you think you have all the time in the world. But those of us, of course, who are longer and are in the journey know that it's finite. You don't have uh, unlimited time. So my advice is always get started now because the reality is the earlier you start, the less you'll act actually have to save to reach your goals. So there's a, a, a large incentive to start early. Absolutely. I mean, there's a thing called compound interest, right? <laughs> and it really Absolutely. makes a difference over time. So to your point, you Absolutely. can start, you can save less every two weeks for a longer period of time and end up in many cases with more money than if you saved uh, more for a shorter period of time because of that compound interest variable. So you say that there's some key or major long-term investment mistakes that need to be avoided and they are holding too much cash due to fear or greed, having too much of your investment dollars invested in Canada and paying way too much in so I want to talk more about each of those and your advice for listeners on how to avoid the mistakes, but let's start with holding too much cash due to fear or greed. Well, so one of the key, key things, key takeaways I stress in all of my presentations is the importance of an emergency fund. And, you know, I did this well before the pandemic hit, um, but how many of us didn't have an emergency fund in place? Often our young investors for sure say, well, I don't need an emergency fund. That's what my credit card is for. So that's a fallacy because your credit card, is, yes, it's a pool of money that you can access when needed, which is wonderful, but the reality is it's debt. And so, you know, if you suffer a job loss or there's an economic shock like, you know, COVID, I guess we call it 6.0 now with these waves just continuing. The reality is that, you know, you're going to have lost income potentially and now you're turning to ramp up your debt as a way to, to backstop the income. So number one, emergency fund. So it's great to have cash for an emergency fund. Typical advice I offer is three to six months of after-tax money. And of course, three months if you have a, a, a job or you're in a sector that's fairly predictable. And six months if you're in, if you're in one that's unpredictable. In other words, something where income varies over time. So that's the importance of having cash. But what we want to do is avoid having too much cash because the reality is that cash earns so little, the returns are so small, and just sitting on cash because we're afraid to invest, oh, the markets might crash, I'm afraid, sitting on too much cash is a real danger because long-term, we need that money to grow, and the way to have that money grow is to invest it as opposed to having it sit in cash. Oh, absolutely, and uh, you're right. Sometimes people feel like they're afraid to put money into the markets, right, because of the fluctuation. But there, there's ways that looking at the risk and making sure that you're still earning some sort of return on your cash, even if you are risk averse. So let's talk about a little bit about where you're doing your investments and, and where your investments are held. So you say that one of the mistakes people make is having too much investment dollars invested in Canada. What do you mean by that? Well, we have a home home country bias. Listen, I love Canada. I've been fortunate enough to go to four Olympics as a as a huge uh, fan. I love Canada. I I I bleed, I bleed red and white. But the reality is, we want our investment dollars to to move all around the globe. We want to be a global investor, an international investor. So whenever I do my presentations, I kind of I show my attendees a pie chart, and the pie chart identifies market capitalization. In other words, how much of the global stock market um, investments are represented. 
by each country. And Canada is the small little sliver, like 3%. And the reality is, Nancy, that if we have all of our money in that little 3%, we're missing huge opportunities. So the best analogy I can give you is our own Canada pension plan, which we all invest in and we all benefit from um, how well that that, uh, fund is managed. That fund has 85% of its dollars invested globally. 85%. So if you are looking at your portfolio and you have way too much Canadian, you are missing all of those major, major opportunities. And then specifically two sectors that were really underrepresented are healthcare and tech. So our own Toronto Stock Exchange, our in, our major index, only about 1% of that index is based on healthcare. And tech is really, really small at only 10%. So if you compare that to the U.S. market, so we want to be in the States for sure. So many category killers in the U.S., big companies like Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. The tech portion of the S&P 500, which is the big major broad U.S. market, is 29%. We want to be in tech. We want to be in healthcare. So if you're limiting yourself to Canada only investing, you're missing on those two huge sectors that you want to be uh, invested in. You know, absolutely. So diversification really, Fred, is the key, right? When you're looking at your investments and making sure that you're really realizing on the best return. For sure, Canada Pension Plan um, and even some of the other major, major pension plans like the Ontario Teacher Pension Plans clearly state diversification is our key strategy to mitigate risk. You know, we all we all mitigate risk. We hop in the car, we put on a seatbelt. We hop on our bikes, we put on a bike helmet. Um, we invest, we have to mitigate risk. We're going to invest, we just have to mitigate it. And the way to mitigate risk, absolutely, it's what the pros tell us is diversify, diversify, diversify. Uh, concentration, in other words, selecting only two or three or four things and investing all of our money in those two, three or four stocks is tremendously risky. We want to diversify. So quickly before we clue up this segment, the last mistake that you talk about is people paying too much in fees. So how do people reduce or even eliminate the fees that they're paying when it comes to investing? Yeah, one of the things I talk about in my presentations is this idea of 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%, 2%. You know, if, if you give 2% to your um, your mutual fund fees every single year, period after period after period, over the long term, that's going to eat about a third of your portfolio. Sometimes those robo-advisor robo commercials highlight that. So what we want to do is keep our fees super low because one of the things we can control when we invest is fees. So keeping your fees low period after period after period is just a great way to keep way more money in your pocket and to grow your nest egg. Great advice, Fred. So listen, when we come back, we are, we are talking about keeping fees low, but there's also an importance to really reaching out and getting advice from a financial advisor who is an expert in the field. So we're going to talk about the benefits of that when we come back. Please stay with us. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM Morning Show. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money. I'm your host, Nancy Sneddon, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. My guest today is Fred Masters. He's a financial literacy expert, founder of Masters Money Management, and the author of the highly acclaimed book, Lessons on Mastering Money, the Personal Finance Guide for Canadians in Their 20s and 30s. So, Fred, in the opening segment, we were talking about investing and the value of starting early, right? The compound interest. The earlier you start, the better off you're going to be uh, in the long run. We talked about the importance of diversifying your investment portfolio. But for many, investing for many of those reasons can really be intimidating and often overwhelming for people. So there's so many decisions that they need to make. So how do you know when you're making the right decisions, right? It's your hard-earned money. You want it to grow. 
But if you're not an expert and you don't know, you know, how you should be diversifying or what you should be doing with your money, it's often important that you reach out and get advice from a financial advisor. So let's talk a little bit about the value of working with a financial advisor and how do you know that that person is the right fit for you? Yeah, that's a great question because it becomes really a personal, personal choice. So one of the things we need to understand is that research is pretty clear here, Nancy. We get better results when we work with a financial advisor. And one of the key reasons is because we're humans and humans, uh, you know, often invest from an emotional perspective. And so we want to we want to eliminate that as much as we can or limit it the least. So, you know, fear and greed really impact us as investors as we make those decisions. We want to avoid the big mistakes. We want to avoid, you know, going to a party, listening to one of our friends who's talking about how well they've done in cryptocurrency and going home and loading up on cryptocurrency. You know, a financial advisor is going to guide you through those decisions so that you don't make the big mistakes. So another thing I want to talk about here is the robo-advisors. I'm a huge fan of robo-advisors because one of the issues with financial advisors, if you have a very small portfolio, let's say you're just starting, financial advisors often aren't even allowed to work with you because your dollars are too small. But robo-advisors do offer free financial advice and they'll guide you along that decision-making. The other thing you can search for is a fee only, a fiduciary uh, financial advisor. And there's someone who puts your goals and your priorities first. I always really caution, caution my attendees on wandering into a branch of one of our big five banks and buying mutual funds. And I'd use the term buying on purpose. You know, those, those locations are called retail branches for a reason. They're there to sell products. And those products often are ones that come with really high fees. So we want to be very cautious if we have uh, money invested in those, um, those bank mutual funds because you're likely overpaying for underperformance. That's some really great advice, Fred. And you know, just because you're using a financial advisor, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be, you know, actively participating in your investments, right? And understanding what's happening. So let's talk about that. And what are some, some of the key questions that really you should be asking your financial advisor? Yeah, great question. We want to be at the table, right? We want to have um, an understanding of where our dollars are invested. So we want to be having those conversations with our financial advisor. The questions that I recommend uh, you ask your financial advisor are as follows. So the first one would be how much of my portfolio is invested in Canada? So we want, again, if you look at the planet, about 3% of the, the planet is um, Canada-based in terms of market capitalization, about 50% U.S.-based. So we want to make sure that lots of our dollars are invested globally. Second is fees. We want to keep our fees, and our fees are often represented as a percentage of our portfolio. And the, the expression we use is a management expense ratio, or an MER, or a TER, total expense ratio. We want to keep those fees low, low, low. So we want to have fees, you know, well under one percent as a as a percent of our total portfolio. You know, if you look at dealing with um, some index products, those fees are one tenth of one percent. So super, super low. We want to drive those fees down as as low as we can. And the third one is how is my portfolio doing versus an index. An index is like a class average. So you remember when you were a kid in school, you'd get your report card, you'd see the class average in high school, and you'd also see your marks. You want to compare your results to the index. Over the long term, five to 10 years, a balanced portfolio has delivered somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to eight percent. So if you sit down with your advisor and your portfolio is not doing as well as that and your fees are high, you are overpaying for underperformance. And this is extremely important to understand. And if that's the case, then you want to nudge your advisor to get you into an index family to keep those fees low and increase your performance.
So all really important questions to ask to make sure that you are actively participating. But how often should you be asking those questions, right? So how often should you meet with your financial advisor? And are there certain times when you want to ensure you're meeting with them, like, you know, life milestones, for example? Well, first of all, I'm going to encourage your readers just to talk about money. You know, make money part of your normal family conversation. Chat about your debt, your financial goals, what you're saving for, how you're doing, check-ins. And we want to do those check-ins on a regular basis. And so I would I would suggest quarterly at a minimum and there's nothing wrong with checking in with your financial advisor every quarter too um, the reality is that you know these markets look at what we've faced over the last two plus years you know huge stock market crashes then quick rallies it's very very unpredictable and sometimes we need some hand holding just to stay calm and to keep the long-term goals in focus and your financial advisor can help you do that and certainly a life change would would trigger the need for a conversation with a financial advisor whether that's marriage the arrival of kids or grandkids even that's for those grandparents out there, you know, you can open RESP and start saving for your grandkids. That would be a great way, uh, a great gift to give to both your grandkids and your your, children, your adult children too. So yeah, when uh, when life changes happen, certainly uh, a check-in again with your financial advisor is wise. And I actually see a lot of that in my practice. Seniors that are looking for some uh, help, some solutions for their debt. Often, one of the things that we talk about is that they do have RESPs for their, their grandkids. So you're right, it's a great investment and great investment in your grandkids' financial future for their, for their education. So I want to switch gears now and, and look at another topic that you talk about in your book, the section that focuses on mastering your ride. So I want to include this in our discussion because there's so much debate over which is best, buying a vehicle, leasing a vehicle. What's, what's your take on this? Well, the car companies often present, you know, uh, wonderful, glossy, professional ads, and they say, you know, invest in your car. We don't invest in things that go down. Cars depreciate. They don't appreciate. Cars go down in value. So what we want to do is understand that. And what we want to do is have someone else pay for that depreciation. So I always talk about the fact that, you know, if you lease a vehicle, basically you're renting a vehicle. You don't own that vehicle because when your lease is over four years after you sign it, you're going to walk into the lease manager's office you're going to drop the keys onto their desk and you're sitting in their office and you need a car it's a perfect model leasing a car is a perfect model for the dealership so we want to make that model work for us we want to do the opposite of leasing a new car we want to buy a quality used vehicle we want to let someone else own that vehicle for three or four years let the value fall and then we want to come in at that point and purchase one of those cars the reality is that people blame anything except their high car payments name for why they can't financially save money. Uh, we just, uh, we struggle here big time in terms of keeping up with the Joneses, uh, the number of high, high, high expensive cars that are rolling around in neighborhoods is stagnant. People are leasing them, they're not buying them. So it's, it's one of the reasons why we don't save enough is because so much of our cash flow goes to car lease payments. Yeah, and I do see that quite often in my practice as well, Fred, right? Like, and, I, and I help people with that, right? I'll refer them to uh, a dealer to get them into a lower payment uh, vehicle that they can afford as part of their financial plan that we're putting together for them to deal with their debt. Oftentimes, people are paying a lot more than they need to or should be paying in a vehicle, sometimes because they have signed on for a vehicle that they truly can't uh, afford when you look at all of the other things that they have in their monthly budget. Also, sometimes they get into to the trap of rolling over vehicles, right? So they they take um, the outstanding loan on one vehicle, they want another vehicle, so they roll that balance into their next vehicle. So they're actually paying far more for the vehicle that they've just purchased uh, than they should for that reason. So really some pitfalls that people need to, to watch out for. So before we close off the segment, 
What are some other financial mistakes that you see Canadians making? Well, and this is one of the fears of inflation as it roars over 5% here is that um, dollars are going to go to um, rising costs. You know, you're going to spend more at the grocery store. You're going to spend more when you go to the hardware store. Costs are going up like crazy. And I'm fearful that savings is going to get squeezed and be left behind again. So we really want to automate your savings. We want to use um, again, the, the technology is wonderful here. We want to set up every two weeks, the day after our, our pay arrives. We want to take our money and save it. We want to push money into our TFSA, our RRSP, our, our ESP if we're a parent, and we want to save money. We we can't afford it's way too dangerous, Nancy, to say, well, I'll catch up on my savings once uh, things um, you know things normalize here. You want to you want to make savings a priority. You want to make sure those dollars get saved every single pay period. So not saving enough, not starting early enough to me would be two big, huge, life-changing mistakes that Canadians make, but that they can handle and, and turn around. Now, one of the things that I'm seeing and reading about as well, Fred, is that for the first time in a couple of quarters now, we're actually seeing people's credit card debt increase. I think that that is largely due to the high cost of living that people are experiencing now and inflationary things on, you know, groceries. People are talking about how much more expensive it is to go to the grocery store, the, the crazy rising costs of things like meat uh, and dairy and, and, you know, the staples that people are using in their everyday lives. So there's no question that inflation and, and now rising interest rates are some of the uncertain uncertainty that's happening right now and, and making making financial decisions and economic decisions a little more difficult. So we're going to get Fred's advice on how to manage your finances during these uncertain economic times when we come back. Please stay with us. Your VOCM 2022 ECMA nominee for Media Outlet of the Year. Welcome back. You're listening to Your Money here on VOCM. I'm your host, Nancy Sneddon, Licensed Insolvency Trustee with BDO Canada here in Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm joined today by Fred Masters. He's a financial literacy expert, founder of Masters Money Management, and the author of the highly acclaimed book, Lessons on Mastering Money, the Personal Finance Guide for Canadians in their 20s and 30s. So, Fred, it's common knowledge that our young adults have been taught virtually no mandatory personal finance throughout their days in school, university. You know, money worries are the number one source of stress for that group. Surveys certainly support this. So according to Scotiabank's recent worry survey, 50% of Canadians aged 18 to 24 are concerned with the rising cost of living. 41% worry about finances. And the poll also finds that Gen Z and millennials spend six hours more worrying about their finances compared to Canadians 55 plus. So Canadians 55 plus are spending about six hours worrying about money and um, the younger generations 12 hours. So, you know, significant. It's no wonder, right? Many are graduating, starting out life carrying considerable student debt. And there's a great deal of financial uncertainty right now. So we've just gone through two years of the COVID pandemic. Inflation is at a 30-year high. Interest rates are now on the rise. We just had uh, an interest rate increase. We're expecting a couple of more this year. And many economists predict that as these interest rates rise, we'll get up to half a percentage point, um, which could be as early as next week. So should our youth be concerned or should we all be concerned, really? Oh, absolutely. So I am sounding the alarm on a national basis from coast to coast to coast that this is a silent financial crisis. 
This is a national silent financial crisis. And I can tell you, I've done uh, research um, in other developed, certainly across the G7. This is a global financial crisis. And the reason, of course, is it's the number one cause of stress for us, yet we don't talk about it. So I, I saw a stat recently indicating that 60% of families, Nancy, don't talk about money at all. So we haven't been taught it in schools. We don't talk about it in the in family, and it's the number one thing we worry about. So, I, you know, one of the things I talk about is, is corporate Canada here really has a role because, you know, financial literacy, thankfully, is starting to appear in our, our curriculum way too late, but at least it's starting to appear in our, in our school curriculum. But the reality is for those who have graduated, they're not getting it. So corporate Canada, I'm calling on you to step in here. This is a wellness issue and to offer the professional development to your employees that will help them better to cope with these financial crises because really education is the way out here and it doesn't have to be delivered education through school. It can be delivered as a professional development opportunity. But yeah, this is a national financial crisis and it's silent because we don't talk about it. It's a little bit of a taboo topic. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think the younger generation may be a little better at discussing finances with their peers than some of the older generations were because it was really taboo and you didn't talk to your neighbor about your income or your debt or anything like that. Um, Oftentimes, in fact, people would look at their neighbor and say, you know, they have all these different toys. I want to try to keep up with them. That's how they sort of get themselves in trouble from a debt perspective. But talking about money is so important, right? So you can have family meetings, right? Involve all the people in your family, uh, in the family meeting when you're talking about the budget or talking about um, different financial goals that you have as a family, how everyone can participate. Obviously, it needs to be age appropriate, right? Depending on the age of your kids and stuff like that. But so, so important that everyone's involved in, in keeping the budget uh, at play for the family, making sure that you're all on the same page and that they really understand the decisions that you're making and why. It also helps them, of course, course get educated for when it's time for them to be making those uh, those decisions for sure so what advice do you have for our listeners on managing their finances during the time when there is so much economic uncertainty yeah as i mentioned i'm especially worried here about inflation you know you talked about food costs how about just taking a car and gassing up i mean just so many of those dollars get redirected to to uh, to putting fuel in our vehicles so i'm especially worried here about inflation and causing people to pause their savings causing people to say well i'll catch up later so we all know you know if any of your your listeners have um, have ever done a road race and you do a 10k road race and you know one of your k's is a little bit slow the idea is that i'll catch up next k is wishful thinking because the reality is that the hills just get a little bit steeper as you get a little more tired so we want to make sure that we auto save auto save auto save auto save we want to be a safe as opposed to a spender. This is a not a great time to be a spender here. I know after the pandemic, we're, we're chomping at the bit to, to, um, to go back to our old ways. But sometimes our old ways involve taking out a lot of debt to finance a lifestyle that was beyond our income. So something I talk about, it's really quite simple. You've got to live within your means. You know, you, you've, you've got to save until it hurts. You've got to live within your means because if, if every month you're taking on more and more debt just to finance lifestyle, uh, you're you're going to be in long, long-term financial duress. And that's why we see the stats indicating so many Canadians have got so much debt and as a result of that, they've got so much stress. So I'm going to encourage people, especially here in times of uncertainty, to just be cautious in terms of taking on fresh debt and also to make savings still a priority here. Don't let the savings slide. And, you know, it's so important that you monitor your cash flow management in times of inflation and and, and changing interest rates and, and things like that, because what your budget used to be, maybe you were living within your budget, 
you may not be now, right? And you may, in fact, be using your credit to supplement your budget uh, unknowingly if you're not paying attention because the cost of everything that we're using every day, like we said, like gas, like groceries, is all increasing. So, Fred, I'm sure you would recommend people revisiting their cash flow right now and, and really looking at their bank statements or, and credit card statements over the last couple of months to see are they still living within their means, right, and making adjustments where needed. I'm a huge fan of, of using a credit card if you have the discipline to pay it off every month. I, I like the fact that you're going to be rewarded for using those cashback credit cards. And it's a way uh, to really control your spending because if you're able to put all your spending on your credit card and then pay it off every month, you make sure you're not taking on any extra debt. However, if during the pandemic costs go up and you're unable to make those payments anymore, then, you know, it may be wise to shift to using your debit card exclusively, you know, spend the money you have. Uh, it, it may limit the number of times you go out during the week. It may limit the number of times you order food um, on delivery services. And that's okay because what we want to avoid here, especially when inflation kicks in is putting more and more on the credit card and finding you're not able to make the payments every month because that is just a slippery slope. So it's just a cautious time for people. It's a, change right with costs rising so fast and we need to recalibrate and the reality is whenever inflation takes off like this our incomes don't keep up right you know you're, if you're in a contract or you're a police officer you've got a contract here's what you're going to be earning you know five percent increases aren't factored into that because you're in the midst of your contract so we want to be cautious often what's happening is our costs are rising here more rapidly than our income so it's a time for caution no, absolutely and i mean i get my credit card statement electronically every week so that i can go in and, and pay off what I've put on it uh, for the week so that you stay on top of it rather than getting a surprise at the end of the month, maybe if you're not paying close enough attention. So really good idea to look at your statement. If you don't get it sent to you weekly, but still go in and look at your statement weekly. And with all the different apps and means of, of doing electronic uh, banking and reviewing your transactions these days, it should be very easy for you to be able to do that. So important to stay on top of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So Fred, we talked about how you know, there's so much financial stress out there that people are experiencing right now. And of course, financial stress leads to other problems as well, right? It can, it can lead to problems in your relationship. It can lead to other health problems. So what advice do you have for people on how they can manage their financial stress? Well, so many Canadians are carrying large lines of credit, like super large HELOCs, home equity lines of credit. So I saw a stat uh, recently that, that new HELOCs that are being approved, the, the limits for those HELOCs are coming in at about $189,000. So that's how much available credit folks are, are getting as they apply for new HELOCs. So when, when interest rates are super all-time low, that was a cheap way to finance things. But now, of course, with interest rates rising, the interest rate attached to your HELOC is going to arise. So if you're carrying a $100,000 line of credit uh, balance on your HELOC, your payments are going to rise now as interest rates rise. So I just think an awareness, again, that it, you want to be cautious about um, ramping up dollars on that HELOC. We talked last time about good debt versus de- bad debt, and I spend a lot of time in the book on this. It's important to understand that there is good debt. Good debt allows you to grow financially, but the other side of that coin is bad debt does the opposite. So be very cautious about putting you know, a vacation on the HELOC uh, because you're going to pay more for that because interest rates are rising, and also you know, a vacation you can't pay off promptly becomes bad debt because it doesn't allow you to grow financially. So if you're going to do a, a kitchen rental and your equity in your home is going to go up, using HELOC is a great, great source. But just be cautious about that, um, that debt that we wouldn't view as good debt, and it may not be the best time to take that on because 
interest rates are rising, you're going to pay more to service that debt. Oh, absolutely. And you want to make sure if you are using your HELOC um, for things like renovations and stuff like that, you're adding value to your home, right? It's things that are going to actually add value in, in the long run and that you're not using your HELOC to supplement your income right for your daily expenses so so important so one aspect of our financial health that often gets overlooked by youth is their credit score so we're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back please stay with us every saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin the cabin party with brian o'connell saturday night starting at 7 p.m on vocm welcome back you're listening to your money with bdo i'm your host nancy snedden licensed insolvency trustee with bdo canada here in newfoundland and labrador my guest today is Fred Masters. He's a financial literacy expert, founder of Masters Money Management, and author of the highly acclaimed book, Lessons on Mastering Money, the Personal Finance Guide for Canadians in their 20s and 30s. So Fred, in the last segment, we talked about some of the challenges that young people are facing today. And as we talked about, many in their 20s and 30s are starting life in the red, right? They've got large student debts. They've taken on maybe, you know, student lines of credit as they're going through school. Uh, it's, it's in some cases the first time they've been offered credit cards and have taken those on, perhaps they've gotten a vehicle loan. But our younger generation also face financial challenges brought on by other influences. So you today are living in a world of instant gratification, right? There's social media has caused this real fear of missing out. Um, I've also heard it referred to as YOLO, you only live once, uh, type of an attitude. And of course, again, that is really being influenced by social media. These influences can take a toll on the financial well-being of our youth, including their credit score. So I wanted to include credit scores in our discussion today, Fred, because you feel, especially those starting out, need to understand their credit score and how it is determined. Oh, I don't think... I don't think the vast majority of people understand how their credit score is calculated at all. Um, you know, and, and this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, I know that's a colloquialism we like to use. I look at, I look at Facebook. I like to call Facebook fake book. You know, no one, people yeah. like to post pictures of the vacation. They don't post pictures of their credit card, you know, and the debt that they incur as a result of that. Um, and this is this idea of, you know, trying to keep up with our friends and to keep up with, there's lots of stats that indicate that our, our millennials, our young Canadians, feel tremendous pressure to keep up with their peers in terms of vacations, travel, lifestyle, cars, the housing they live in, all of it. So uh, credit score is one piece of that. So we, we, like, to, we like to hear Hollywood stories about prenup arrangements. But like my conversation is more around realizing that when you marry your partner, you're marrying their debt. You incur their debt also. So I don't think we have any understanding. So one of my clients, um, Hamilton Diocese, uh, one of the Catholic dioceses in Southern Ontario, has committed to buying a copy of my book for every single couple that goes through their marriage preparation programs for the next two years because one of the key things they talk about is financial realities of being a married couple and they realize that those young couples don't have that background at all so credit score is one of those absolute key pieces that we have to understand there's even there's even speed dating clubs in california where you have to bring your credit score now i love nancy that a credit score is sexy uh, but the reality is that uh, we don't talk we don't talk about it very much we don't understand how it's calculated but it's incredibly important it affects your life in so many ways that we just don't really um, have a front of mind understanding of. 
Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of people think, you know, they have a great credit score. They've maybe never checked their credit score. They've maybe never pulled their credit report, but because they've never missed a payment, they think they have an outstanding credit score. But there's so many other factors that go into calculating your credit score that that may not necessarily be the case. It could be very highly leveraged, uh, owing a lot of, uh, of different debt. So that can definitely have an impact. So how important is it for those in their 20s and 30s to understand the impact that a negative score can have on their future? One of the things I talk about um, when I work with my, my younger clients, I'm a licensed mortgage agent also, is as you prepare, and I use that term intentionally, as you prepare to move into the stage where you're going to um, get a mortgage pre-approval and you're going to start house shopping seriously, you've got to take a really close look at your credit score. So, for example, if your credit score is in great shape, you can use one of the A lenders, we call them. You can use one of the top shelf lenders that give you um, a wide selection of product choices in terms of uh, the characteristics in your mortgage. But if you have bruised credit, if your credit score is, is let's say, below 620, so 900 is perfect. We call those um, you know, incredibly rare. They're white unicorns in our field. But if you're down in the, in the low sixes and below that, you're not going to be able to deal with one of those A-side lenders. Now you're going to go to a B-side lender, and B-side lenders basically are going to charge you more because you represent more risk to them. So we are not entitled to a mortgage. Uh, it's a privilege we have, and we've got to take that privilege very seriously and put ourselves in a position where we can benefit from having a good credit score and a good credit profile so that we can not only get a mortgage, we can be pre-approved for one, but we can get one where the terms are, uh, are as good as they can be. And I think the same thing applies with vehicle loans too, Fred, right? Like you want to stay away from those B lenders where you're paying, you know, 10, 12, 13, 14% interest on, on a vehicle loan. And usually if you have, uh, to your point, bruise credit, then, then that's where you're landing there as well. So what are some of the more common mistakes that you see youth make today that negatively impact their credit score? So here, here's one that I guarantee your listeners will uh, will find very, very uh, insightful. So this idea of credit utilization. So there's a there's a term that's as ambiguous as it can be. So here's an example. Let's say you have a credit card. I'm just going to keep the math really simple. Let's say you have a credit card and you have a $10,000 limit on your credit card. And so you do all the things you should do. So you put your spending on your credit card. You're accumulating your points. You get your cash back rewards once a year. You auto pay the thing. You never carry a balance. You don't pay any interest. You're doing everything. Everything right, but you tend to put on five, six thousand dollars worth of spending on that credit card every month, which doesn't seem to be a worry because you pay it off. So in reality, what you're doing is you are hurting your credit score because credit utilization is one of the most important pieces of your credit score. And if you're taking on anywhere over 30% of your credit limit, your credit available credit limit, you're actually hurting your score. So if you've got a $10,000 credit card and you're putting over 3000 on that card on a monthly basis, your score is going down. So what I, that's often a shock to people. They don't understand. That's just total new learning for them. So one of the things I recommend is call your credit card company and bump your credit limit if you have a history of handling payments without an issue or two use a second credit card make sure you don't go over 30 percent of your credit limit on any one of those cards you actually hurt yourself so that credit utilization is rarely understood but a really key piece in terms of how your credit score is calculated Absolutely. It's almost worth, if not as much, very close to as much as making your payments on time, right? It's usually 30 to 35% for each of those items. So it definitely has a big impact on your credit score. And I agree, Fred, like making sure that you're, you're not highly leveraged, meaning that you haven't used most of your available credit. I always say to people, you know, if your credit card company is offering you an increase in your 
credit limit, then you need to think about, okay, am I disciplined enough that I'm not going to use that available credit because it's there? And if that answer is yes, by all means, it will help improve your credit score because you now decreased your leverage, but you do need to be disciplined that you're not just going to use the credit because it's been made available to you because that's where people tend to get themselves in trouble. So listen, well, you've had some really yeah, great advice. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go I was going to say one, one of the key, yeah, one of the key things that I mentioned to people, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Nancy, is to apply for credit when you don't need it. You know, the time to apply for a line of credit or uh, whether it's secured or unsecured is when you don't need the money. You know, if you've just lost a job or your partner's just lost a job and, you know, you've got some debts coming due and you're in trouble, that is not the time to walk into a, a bank and ask for a bump in your credit limit on your credit card or a, perhaps a new loan. Um, during the peak of the pandemic, lots of huge companies, like I'm thinking Apple, like put put in place these massive corporate lines of credit to access money um, when they didn't need it because Apple's just a wash with cash. So, so to your point, you know, if if the bank extends an opportunity for you to get an increase in your credit card limit, and you have good discipline, go ahead and take it because uh, the time to apply for a credit card bump is not when you uh, really really need it. Sadly. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we, you've had a lot of great advice for our listeners today, and we've talked a lot about, you know, the, the mistakes people make, the pitfalls that people need to watch out for. But I know you do a lot of work and you have a lot of interaction with our youth. So tell us one of the good financial habits that you're commonly seeing our youth make these days. Oh, I love the fact that uh, that our young people have an insatiable appetite to learn more about personal finance. I think that's one of the key things. You know, your an aptitude for lifelong learning in this area is crucial because as, you know, life progresses, your needs change here. So that's one of the great things that I see is that uh, people are hungry to learn more about personal finance and especially our young Canadians. Oh, that's really great. So we've got some time now for some final thoughts. So if you could leave our listeners with a final thought today, what would it be? I guess I'm going to encourage um, our, our parents of adult kids, you know, so if you're out there, if you're one of our listeners and you've got kids, kids, adult kids are in their 20s and 30s, or maybe you're becoming a grandparent, I think the reality is that you can help those kids um, in a big way by encouraging them to increase their personal financial understanding. And I think this is why, you know, you opened our, our, our show today talking about lots of um, lots of parents and grandparents are worried about their adult children and grandchildren in terms of their finances. So a way to help with their understanding is to consider, you know, increasing the level of financial understanding that your adult kids have. And certainly one of, I think one of the answers to that is looking for really well-respected authors in the space. And I would humbly suggest that my book fl slides into that space nicely. So lessons on mastering money, I think is, is one of the ways that we can, um, to help our young Canadians take better control of their financial journey, drop their financial stress and really control their financial futures. Oh, so important, Fred. Thanks so much for joining me again today. Another great show. And, you know, you've offered some really great advice for our listeners today. If people wanted to get a copy of your book, they wanted to connect with you, perhaps follow you on social media, what's the best way for them to do this? Sure. My book is available uh, internet or sorry, nationally, I guess, of course, because you can get it on the web. So across Canada, you can go to the chapters Indigo site and my book is available there. Lessons on mastering money. You can follow me on Twitter at masters money one Oh one. And for those of you in corporate Canada who are interested in some opportunities, I do have large clients who are buying um, large bulk orders of my book to help their workforce and their employees. Um, you reach out to me through my website. That's at mastersmoneymanagement.ca. 
www.mastersmoneymanagement.ca. There's a portal you can uh, reach out, and um, we can put uh, some of the copies of my books into your hands so you can distribute it to your team to help them along their financial journey. That's great, Fred. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on again. I really appreciate it, Nancy. And for our listeners out there, if you're struggling with inflation, not sure how to fix your budget, if you're seeing an increase in your debt that you're uncomfortable with, please reach out. You can reach me at yourmoneyatbdo.ca or give me a call at 800-563-8337. Until next week, I'm Nancy Sneddon. Stay safe and be well, everyone. If you have a question or comment for your money, send an email to yourmoneyatbdo.ca. This has been Your Money with Nancy Snedden of BDO, licensed insolvency trustees on VOCM. The proceeding was a paid program on the VOCM Big Land FM radio network.